Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We have made it once again all the way to hump day. Keith Jones, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mr. Block, doing well. I uh, am also doing all right. Three more days till FSU plays again. Significant turn of events, certainly last Saturday, in terms of Florida State growing up a little bit, and also uh, an answer to the quarterback question, I think. Go who, ahead. Who to thunk it? Who to thunk it? Who to thunk it? I, I and I, I'm pretty sure I said this. We can go back and check the tape, but... I thought McGuire should have started. I was quite uh, disappointed. Um, not shocked per se, but we'll just go with disappointed that uh, Everett was named the starter and uh, sat there as most everyone did on those first three, four series going, what in the world, what in the world, this has a chance to be horrible. Uh, and then you see McGuire go in, and I've got this kind of etched in my mind. He goes in. They were actually in the huddle, the short huddle on his first snap, and you saw him uh, pat a couple of linemen on the head as he's calling the play, and it's like the entire offense got six inches bigger. I mean, you could you could physically see the the play grow when he stepped onto that field and stepped in and out of that huddle. I agree, and I think that's been what you're speaking to is leadership, I think, in in some regards. Maybe it's confidence, but they're related. And that's something I don't feel like people have talked enough about this year in terms of this team and this offense. It's been lacking leaders all year long, which is is part of the problem. I mean, Everett Golson tried to fill that void. I don't think he was very successful doing it. It's not been Dalvin Cook's nature, although he's trying to be more of a leader now. The really the best receiver, the uh, the best leader the receiving core has is Bobo Wilson, and Jimbo continues to praise him. Kermit is starting to turn the corner a little. The other guys, everybody wants to know where the receivers are. I mean, you can count Rudolph in this bunch. They're not competing or doing the things on an everyday basis that they need to do to com- to to play to be a viable leader and to be a viable leader and to succeed and have the success on the field that everybody wants to see. And then the offensive line. I don't know who it would be there. Roderick is is very soft-spoken. He's the guy that Jimbo demands the most of on the sideline when you look at it. Uh, and Jimbo's been more endearing than, than in your face this year. But he gets on Big Rod an awful lot. But still, young guys, and there's been nine guys who started. Bottom line, what I've started to see from Sean McGuire, and I didn't see this last year. I don't recall seeing it in the spring. I noticed it uh, definitively in the Clemson game. I saw players responding to Sean as a leader. Even when the Clemson game got away, there was a moment when when FSU went down 10, so the last minute or two of the game, where he called the entire offensive line and offense together, and, and everybody was there, and I couldn't hear what the conversation was. I presume it was one of those, remember how this feels right now because this isn't going to happen again because the game was out of hand. But anyway, and then I saw more of it last week when he went in, players responded. I'm going a long way to say that I, you know, I think now that Sean is the guy, there's a chance for him to emerge more as a leader, which is something that offense needs. Well, and let me bring up a related note, and I'll call it the C word, and that is credibility. To be a leader, you have to be creditable. And and this is where Golson, just by the nature of him coming late, only being here in in uh, fall practice and in and, and the season, you look back on, you know, Sean McGuire's first spring – or his second spring, or the second time he was in fifth quarter drills or in the weight room at 6 o'clock in the morning. You remember two and a half years ago, that mental image of what he's been doing over the last three years to get himself ready to play, when that person speaks versus someone you've only known for three months speaks, there's a profound difference in how you relate and respond to it. And I think though McGuire is soft-spoken or not vocal by nature, he's got the credibility that if he'll now step up that vocal part, he can become the leader of this offense. No, no question. I also think there's an element of action speak louder than words. And I'll use this because as we have this conversation, you know, Jimbo likes to say there's no age limit on you know, whether you're a starter or not. And the same is true for leadership. Well, he also says, I can't hear you because your actions are speaking so loudly. 
I'm going to reference Derwin James, though, because here's a guy who hasn't been here that long either, and he's already emerging as a leader. And when you talk to people at FSU behind the scenes, you know, I don't know this definitively, but I know they would tell you that the first guy they'd want in the foxhole and the guy who would be ready to play in the Walmart parking lot at 2 a.m. and would be dressed out ready to go at 145 more than anybody else on that defense is Derwin James. I mean, I know there's a – I've heard a lot of comparisons to Telvin Smith in terms of – not just ability, but in terms of ready to go, motors always running, play one to play a hundred, and that so that's how Derwin is assuming that role right now. But for for Sean, he's had to grow into it. But I think it translates to how definitive he is throwing the football now too, because he seems to get the ball out more quickly. There's obviously room for improvement. He's decisive when he throws it, and obviously he throws a fastball and he's thrown into some tight windows. So it's all been part of the evolution. Well, think about it. He's only been a starter for two hundred plays. 250 right. plays i mean he he's been here a while but he doesn't have that experience that will only incrementally grow as he gets more experience yeah so it was a worst case scenario as has been documented not only did you spend all week trying to get the team ready to play after a devastating loss to clemson then they just fall in a ditch in the first quarter and have to climb their way out turn it over five times and still win going away i mean i think all that was that that's why jimbo was so pleased after the game he really felt like the team took a big step forward the two things that jumped out at me and then we'll move on is uh, the 27 unanswered points um and and this is silly and that's coming from a defensive guy but quote unquote the goal line stand recognizing that that wasn't to preserve the victory that was that was to preserve the the moral win but they did it and we haven't seen that in a while when we tape coach fisher's tv show there's always a big play of the first half and the second half and generally dalvin cook's touchdown run is going to be one of those uh but he had two plays in the second half one was the turnover that florida state got that led to points and kind of finished the game but the other was the goal line stand at the end because he thought that was really significant uh, as a point of pride and i think this defense uh, we need to give it its due for how it's played this year you and i have talked a lot about it being much better than last year for a variety of reasons but it's starting to show up when you consider the only defense that hasn't allowed 25 points in, in any why, game this why'd season. you take my thunder is that where you're going That's next? A, i was going to hold give on you, a I'm second give you the hold on let's back fact. up the tape let's back up the tape back it up keith what do you think about the, the defense this year well i'll tell you the number one thing nobody's talked about this is the only defense in the country that hasn't given up more than 25 points in any one game. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that's an interesting point that we should develop. <laughs> no, but, 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 more, but more than that, I, this is a defense, and it was evident in game one. They like each other. They swarmed the ball. There have been some mistakes, but I, I really think that were it not for the injuries, which primarily affected the middle of the defense in, in passing situations, that's where FSU got exploited. Were it not for those, this would be borderline, you know, not not best ever level, but it would be a top 10 defense nationally. It'd be really, really good. And what's really been interesting is to watch them improve in their nickel and dime sets. You know, we we early in the year were, were lamenting the play of the safeties or lack thereof. And while there are still a lot of room to grow for growth there, uh, the safety play has gotten much, much better. Uh, Javian, uh, I think is the most not the most valuable defensive player, but certainly he's, he's the, the most un, improved. Whatever the unsung hero yep. award is yep. that they give out at the banquet, it's got to go to Javian. I mean, that's a guy that didn't play football for three years after high school, showed up at FSU and uh, started breaking and, havoc and, in practice, and, I don't and now wanna, he's a regular guy. I was going to say, and I don't want to curse him or, or whatever, but has he missed a tackle in the open field? To, to my knowledge, no. I mean, there's been a couple passes completed, but it's not like a coverage bust. No, he's no, right there he's on right the guy's there. hip, and he's. Yeah, I mean, teams are continuing to test him, as you would, given his size and the fact he's a former walk-on and just into the starting lineup. But they're going to have to start going elsewhere the way he's played. He's He's been impressive. Very there's much so. There's a lot of things to be excited about on the defensive side of the Very ball. much so. All right, so we turn the page. This week, Florida State gets uh, Chattanooga. You did your homework on this. So rather than me spill all the beans here... Tell us about Chattanooga, Keith. Well, uh, the Moxons are the uh, <laughs> reigning current Southern uh, Conference champion. Third consecutive year they've won the, their conference. Uh, they're 8-2. and two. Uh, They have made the FCS playoff. They will be p- competing for a national championship in a playoff format at the second level. Uh, they have a chance, depending on how they finish, uh, either showing well against Florida State or otherwise, to be a top eight seed, which gets them a bye. Uh, in the first round of that playoff. Uh, their quarterback is a, is a dual threat. Oh, my gosh, how many times have we seen that? But one of the few kids in any level of college football that has actually run for 1,000 and passed for 1,000 
in two consecutive seasons. Uh, 13 yards rushing is all that he needs in order to accomplish that feat. This is a good FCS ball club. Now, they are an FCS ball club. We have to recognize that. But it's a good ball club that has a very uh, talented offense. Uh, It's a game that Florida State does need to be focused, or it's one of those, uh, you know, kind of like the Citadel or or even a Georgia Southern or Charleston, rather, where you can find yourself in a ball game into the middle of the second quarter going, what are we doing around here if you don't come out crisp and do it right from the beginning? Uh, They're a formidable opponent. Florida State is favored and should win easily. Uh, Let's change that. Should win handily, though it may not be easy. Ask uh, the folks down in Gainesville what happened when they played Georgia Southern a couple years ago. Well, that's what I was confusing, and I went to Charleston, and you know. Well, and they did just add Charleston Southern to the schedule for next year on the short week after Ole Miss. Uh, On September 10th, they'll play them, by the way. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, all this, and we haven't talked about basketball yet, which, uh, Keith, from where you sit calling those games, first of all, you can't look away. You, no, no. You might you miss, can't look away. You or might you miss can't three possessions. Down, or you will not be in the game. We're, we're going to have uh, Tim Linefeld uh, join us in our next segment, and uh, we'll talk with Tim about basketball. But I do need to remind you, because I haven't done so yet, and I actually went there this week uh, for brunch. Madison Social, the place to go, uh, as you know, Last home game uh, of the uh, of the season, so get out there this weekend for Senior Day. I had the uh, Guinness Chicken and Waffles. This was on Sunday before I was fortunate enough to to uh, <clears throat> share press row and call a basketball game with you. And uh, I highly recommend it. That's all I'll say. Madison Social. By the way, do you know where chicken and waffles come from? Wildwood, Florida. No, well, chickens come from chickens. Waffles come, but <laughs> Harlem. New York, Harlem, in the 20s and the 30s, performers would It's almost perform. like we script this, but we really don't. Please we don't. enlighten me but, further. But the, formers, uh, the, the, the performers in Harlem, the African-American performers in Harlem, would perform you know, into 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning in, in, the, in the night's clubs, in the night spots. And then they'd want to go have dinner. And, and dinner at 3 o'clock in the morning consisted of fried chicken – which is a true supper meal, and waffles, which is a breakfast meal. So the chicken and waffles uh, scenario was not created but was was come to be known in Harlem in the 20s and 30s, and now you see it in quite a number of places. And now with that context, I will return to Madison Social, and it will be a completely different experience as I have the Guinness chicken and waffles all over again. Bottom it, line, it's a stuff. great brunch every Saturday and Sunday. Whether it's a game weekend or not, you should head to Madison. So it was, a, it was Sunday when I was there. It was a great uh, – great crowd as people are still in town for homecoming weekend all right that said more conversation fsu basketball fsu football with uh, our seminoles.com insider tim linefelt when we come back on the front row Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Time now for our Seminoles.com Insider Report, and I'll remind you that Seminoles.com is the place for you to navigate on your mobile device or desktop if you're old how much is your desktop weigh is it is it as heavy as the desk keith uh when i get a boat it will then become my anchor there you go if you're old school like keith you can use the desktop but go to seminoles.com and you can catch jimbo fisher's post-game press conference as it streams live immediately following every home game of which the uh, last home game obviously is this saturday also is monday press conference much more as we welcome tim linefelt uh, to the program our seminoles.com insider these days tim you can find an awful lot about basketball and I'm going to go out on a limb here and just suggest that Dwayne Bacon has a chance to be a pretty good basketball player based on the two-game sample size that I've witnessed. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, you know what? I think he's uh, he's got the pieces, and if he can uh, he can put them together, I think he's really got a chance. No, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's he's really exciting, and it's not just him. I think Malik Beasley uh, is really exciting. Terrence Mann is really exciting, and you know what they say about the the high side lifting all shifts. You know, with those guys doing what they can do, it makes things that much easier for some of the veteran guys that have, that have been on the team a little while longer. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's only two games, and, and we'll see a little bit more after, uh, after they get out of the Virgin Islands this weekend. But I don't know how you could be anything but encouraged with what you've seen from men's basketball so far. Well, the thing that's noticeable to me with those weapons, and you just mentioned the two names, is that 
when XRM is your third option potentially offensively and Devin Booker's your fourth, I mean, that all of a sudden got a, that team is a lot tougher to defend on a possession basis and certainly an end half, end of game situation. No, absolutely. And, and you know, just looking at the, the, the things that Jacksonville's coach had to say last night is like, look, if, if we miss a shot, we're in trouble because they have the ball and they're off and running and it's probably going to be a layup on, on the other end. I mean, they have so many guys that can just score and, and just can finish. You know, I think that was an issue for so many years. They'd be in position and couldn't finish it. But, but Bacon, especially, if he's down, you know, beneath the basket, he can find a way to get up there and, and finish it and the other guys as well. So, uh, you know, not only are they better, I think they're, they're just so much, you hear this a lot, but it, they're so much more fun to watch, you know. Um, you know, they hit 100 points, more than 100 points against Nickel State, probably could have hit 100 uh, last night against Jacksonville. But, uh, you know, just just from an entertainment standpoint, I think it's uh, it, it's pretty cool, and the fact that they're doing it while winning games uh, certainly doesn't hurt either. Tim, traditionally, uh, anyone who has watched uh, Leonard's uh, team knows that they have struggled in the half court in this motion offense. Uh, Leonard doesn't script or call a lot of plays, and it's uh, it can sometimes get bogged down and not be efficient. Uh, even the half court offense uh, is is taken to another level with these young kids in there. Yeah, and and I think the, the the big thing you can see is is so many times you know these, these aren't the first high profile recruits that Leonard's brought in, um, but but what you see with these guys, and I don't mean to to knock anybody else that's come through here before, but they just have such a good basketball sense to them, you know. Like before, they'd have kids that and they would have raw talent or they'd have great athleticism, but maybe they weren't the smartest basketball players. And you know, I think the argument always has been, you know, if you got a kid who's a great athlete and also really, really basketball smart, well, he's probably going to Kentucky or North Carolina or Duke or somewhere like that. And I think that that, uh, that argument certainly has merit. Well, well, this time they've got kids who all to some degree uh, have that combination, and then they decided to come to Florida State, and you, know, you see what the, uh, what the results have been so far. The other aspect of that basketball IQ, uh, Tim, also is the ability to play defense. Normally your hot shot uh, four- and five-star recruits in basketball are offensive-minded players only. They're not asked to play defense, but particularly with Beasley, but Bacon also, but particularly with Beasley, they are very competent at this level in their collegiate career. They are very competent defenders as well. Yeah, I think the big thing right now is is you have guys that seem like they're willing to do it. I think that's probably the the first part of the battle. You know, talking to Leonard Hamilton, I don't I don't know that he's ever going to be satisfied with, uh, with the way his team plays defense. He always wants more, and, and so you know he was saying uh, after last night's game that you know he wants to see them their their, their defensive principles are not up to the standard that, that he sets. But uh, you know that's going to come in time. I get it's a pretty challenging defensive system to learn, and so. And just having guys who I think are interested in playing defense and and who are are committed to it or who will commit to it, I think it's probably the first you know big step of the battle for guys who you know their their college careers for for always made of them are, are really just two games old right now. So that'll come along, I think. Well, let's talk about something topical and nobody knows the answer to. Who will start at quarterback on Saturday? Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, then it's going to be uh, be John, be Sean McGuire. That's uh, that's the the word. That's what. What Jimbo said on uh, on Monday is that that uh, Sean's our starter, and he, I think his exact quote was, "Hopefully, we don't have to relive any of that," which I, which I think means that uh, hopefully he's our starter, and, and that'll be that. So, uh, so yeah, you know, that's uh, I think Sean probably earned that. I think it would be hard to to go away from him after the way that the NC State game played out, with him kind of coming off the bench and, and saving the day. So, um, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny how uh, a season plays out over the course of you know two, three, four months, and and here with uh, with with two two weeks left in the season, we're we're back with the guy that we probably thought we would have back in March. Keith and I talked about this in our first segment, Tim. But what do you think of Sean McGuire's development as a leader? I think it's uh, maybe one of his best qualities. You know, um, it, it's hard because nobody wants to come out and say anything that could be construed as negative toward Everett Golson. Um, and it's tough. I think, you know, Ohio State probably had this, uh, this dynamic a little bit too, is whenever you have a, a close situation between quarterbacks where you're going from one to the other, any, any, any compliment that you pay to one uh, can be read as a, a knock against the other one. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't think anybody actually wants to do that, um, and, and least of all me. But the, uh, you know, the fact is I think with Sean, you know, so many of the guys on the offense this year that are first-teamers and second-teamers now, 
were second teamers and third teamers a year ago or two years ago. And, and who's the quarterback they were working with back then? Well, it was Sean McGuire. So, you know, this is a guy that they've worked with, they've practiced with for some of them their entire careers, especially some of those guys on the offensive line. And so, you know, I think it's only natural to feel like, you know, he's your guy. This is the guy that you've, you've sweated with and, and you've worked with and you've gone through all the, you know, the, the rigors of practice with. Um, and, and I think, man, you know, if you just look at look at that Syracuse game, look at the way the offense sort of snapped into gear uh, against NC State. I mean, it, it seems pretty apparent to me that they respond to him. Um, and I'm not saying they don't like playing forever. And, and certainly, they you know, players want to win. And so it's not like they're going to you know give lesser effort for another player. But it just seems that that he has a command of those guys that uh, is, is really apparent when he steps onto the field. Well, some of that is leadership and some of that is familiarity and some of it is getting the ball out on time in the place it needs to be because, uh, to be frank, uh, I mean, it, it, the fact that both Golson and McGuire played in the same game, and, and I don't want to just spend this time banging on Everett, but it was obvious when McGuire got in there, he was decisive with the ball, he got it out, it was in a position where the guys could catch it and do something with it afterwards. So, I mean, I think all that's a big factor in it too. Well, I think that's a big factor in uh in leadership, right? You know, it's, uh, it's for all the, the the pregame speeches and, and fiery eyes and the huddle. Uh, having a guy that you you believe can put you in position to be successful, uh, you're going to follow that guy. So yeah, I, you know, sometimes it really is that simple. Uh, I have to get it in quick, or Tom will steal another one of my statistics. You'll have to go back and listen to the first segment to know what that means. But let me see if I can get this one. Go ahead, Keith. How about the fact that Florida State has had 29 pre-snap offensive penalties? And Navy has only had 30 penalties the entire year. Are you thinking that's not good? Uh, you tell me, brother. <laughs> yeah, it really is one of the more inexplicable um, aspects of this season. I mean, you know, look, we can chalk it up to young offensive linemen or inexperience or nerves or whatever. You know, Jimbo's said several times that it's the idea of just, you know, one it too much and, and, and maybe, you know, he doesn't like to use the word pressing, but I think that's kind of, what you would infer from that is there's trying a little bit too hard, but whatever it is, man, like, I really don't think I've ever seen anything like it, particularly the false starts. Uh, and there doesn't really seem to be a common thread, except that it happens just about everywhere, you know, first down, second down, third down, home, away, first half, second half, really doesn't seem to matter. Uh, Equal opportunity. Gonna, that's what those, these guys there are. There it is. There it is. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that it's, it's not like they're going to stop trying to fix it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you fix something like that. You know, uh, what, what do you what do you say? Don't all right. Don't jump earlier. Okay. You know, and, and but I don't. I don't. I don't really. I don't know. I've, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, I, I know how it used football. to be taken care of. I don't know that that works anymore. But I can tell you, thirty five years ago, what the answer was. <laughs> well, well, I don't know how many. You know, I don't know if it's the if the idea is you know running steps or, or benching guys, but. You know, the, the, the problem is they're they're so banged up on the offensive line. I don't know how many options they really have. Yeah, well, I think part of it is how much do you harp on it uh, because then it becomes a problem. But really the, the bigger picture there is that this, despite how many times we say it and despite how many times you look at the depth chart – it's a team that's young offensively. And, and still young, even and, though they and play still 10 young. ball games. Yeah, and – I mean, I think I think that's the real, people don't want to hear that. You want to push the easy button and just solve all those problems, but that has to factor in there somewhere. Guys, oh, of course, it does. Yeah. And 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 look, you know, the the cliche always goes, you know, we're ten games into the season, freshmen aren't freshmen anymore, sophomores aren't sophomores anymore, and and that's good. And then that's you know, it's a it's a nice thing to say. It can be true to an extent, but, but no, man, these guys are still young. And you know, think about you know, look look back on Josue Matias and Bobby Hart and and Cam Irving and those guys. You know, they weren't. NFL draft picks, you know, in their first and second years, it took them a little while to get going. And, and, and you know, it seems like it's every three or four years that, that people you know, turn up, try to turn up the heat on, uh, on Rick Trickett and, and, you know, forget all the good that he's done. And it's just the process of these guys. And, you know, it's, and look, they lost four starters off the offensive line last year. And, and, I, and I know you kind of, you know, roll your eyes when, when you hear that. But it's true, and that's always good. it's going to take time to, to replace those guys. And and I think you've seen the offensive line in spurts play really well, uh, especially once the ball is snapped, they can uh, they can get things going. But you know the <laughs> the penalties and things like that are, are just a completely different issue. And you know, like you've seen, uh, you, you could argue that it cost them the game against Georgia Tech uh, a few weeks ago, and it just it 
you know, when you're moving, when you're constantly moving behind the sticks, it's uh, it's a really big problem. Um, you know, certainly as big or worse than you know getting beat by a, an opposing defensive lineman. Because I think that's the sort of thing that you can live with here and there. You know, those things are going to happen, especially when you're developing. But you know, when you're constantly costing the team five yards at a time before the ball's even snapped, and that's the kind of thing that makes you pull your hair out. All right, we're going to put you on the spot here with the last question, and then Keith oh and I, we won't, we won't even give you much of a chance to, to you know, rebut because we're going to talk about it next segment. But uh, is FSU going to be, uh, what is it, group of six? What are the, the New Year's Six Bowl? Is FSU going to make a New, the New Year's Six Bowl? Is FSU going to make a New Year's Six Bowl, big bowl? Well, it depends. Are they going to win their next two games? Well, that's what I'm asking in reality. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think they're going to win their next one, right? <laughs> and so, hey, hey, be careful. That's a big yeah, limb out there so- you're on. Well, I'm sorry. You're going to put me on the spot, and then when I answer, tell me to be careful. All right. And then we're going to rebut everything you say in the next segment anyway. I believe that's what so Tom make, said. Make this a good 45 seconds or so, would you? No, I'm just going to say maybe for everything. No, I, oh, I do think they're <laughs> going to be Chattanooga. Uh, and, and, look, I, you know, the, having the Florida game being played at 730 uh, certainly doesn't work in, in Florida's state's favor. But if, if you look at that Florida team, I, I, you know, I think they're beatable. Um, they're, they're really great on defense, but I don't know that the offense is much to be afraid of. I don't know that it's going to be the prettiest game. Florida and Florida State have ever played, but uh, and certainly you know Florida State going to Gainesville is never easy. But they absolutely have a chance to win that game. And at that point, you're talking about beating uh, a Florida team that's probably ten and one, probably ranked number six or seven in the country. And if, if Florida State, if you go and do that uh, and get that win, now you're ten and two, and they're probably a pretty attractive option for that Peach Bowl in Atlanta, where you have a huge alumni base. You heard it here first. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, guarantees a victory over Florida. By and, and guarantees a Peach Bowl invitation. Way to go, Tim. <laughs> you like it? <laughs> uh, hey, good stuff as always, Tim. Appreciate it. All right, guys. We'll see you. All righty. And uh, I, I think he's probably right in that. We'll, let, let's chew on this when we come back. I'll, I'll remind you that uh, you can catch Jimbo's postgame press conference uh, on Seminoles.com after each and every home game. Also, his Monday presser there as well. And... Uh, Plus, this time of year, it's the busy time of year. Follow men's and women's hoops. Keith, you're getting ready to, you know, have to pull out the passport for your upcoming trip with hoops. We can talk about that. Actually, it's the U.S. version. Well, of that's true, but you probably wouldn't hurt you to bring it with you. I, I went and got it. I did. Yeah, so there you go. All right, see? You try to call me on it, but you had to get it anyway. We'll take a break. Come back with more right after this. Stay with us. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. And we are back. Tom and Keith with you. Thanks for uh, tuning in, as always. Still much more to come on this show. You never want to, uh, I mean, you got to embrace the full hour because we give you a full hour's worth, don't we? Uh, last I checked. We do. All right. I want to remind you that uh, this portion of the program is uh, brought to you by The Flying Bear, a family-owned and operated restaurant on Tallahassee's uh, north side up Thomasville Road. Uptown. Uptown. You see? I've, I've you've got better. You've got it into the vernacular now. Uptown Tallahassee. Tell Brian that Tom and Keith sent you out there. It is a, a great place. Uh, folks that live on the northeast side of town certainly know that. Open uh, Sunday to Thursday, 11 to 9, Friday to and Saturday, 11 to 10. I've been known to uh, take a stop there on the way home, even uh, from the airport when Florida State's football team returns to catch whatever the late football is. By the way, I didn't uh, appropriately uh, give you cre- uh, credit. Uh, let's see, Saturday, last Saturday, you were on the field. You did pregame upstairs, then on the field, then postgame. Then you come and do the basketball game with me. Then you run back and do the Fisher show back at the uh, studio. And then you get up Monday morning and go to work like the rest of us. Yes. You got a full weekend. Yeah. If you want to send flowers and uh, candy to my wife, she'd appreciate it. The one that went over. <laughs> the one I didn't see over the weekend. The one that walked over during the middle of the on-court interview with Dwayne Bacon and tried to get a selfie with the kids. Yeah, that she, that one. Yeah, she did wait until the, it was with XRM and she did wait till the interview concluded. All right, it was XRM and she did wait. Okay, yeah. my apologies. All right, me. we love you, Laura. At least I do. Keith, don't speak up here. All right, let's get back to business here of uh, talking about FSU football and the bowl scenario. We're just talking about that with uh, with Tim Linnefeld. I it's getting more and more cut dry, cut and dry to me at this point. You obviously don't know, but it feels like if Florida State wins out, they would be in. 
uh, and see, I just struggle to say it, New Year's Six, they'd be in one of those and probably be in the, in the Peach Bowl. And if they don't, uh, I think they would probably drop to the Gator Bowl, which is actually called the TaxSlayer.com Bowl or something the like that. The Bowl in Jacksonville. The Bowl in Jacksonville. Well, here's what's interesting because I think everyone would agree that if Carolina wins out as we expect them to and makes it to the championship game against Clemson, Clemson defeats the Tar Heels. Even though UNC made it to the championship game, from a national perspective, Florida State would still remain the number two viable team from the ACC, though they did not play in the championship game. Especially with a win in Gainesville. Correct. you got to have the win in Gainesville, right. but that's for all other reasons. What really throws a monkey wrench in it for a lot of the ACC is if Carolina were to defeat Clemson in the AC championship game, I don't think any ACC team goes to the playoff. Carolina, by default, would be the number one team, though Clemson would be more highly sought after. So it would be Carolina, Clemson, Florida State. FSU would be all the way down well, to the third pick, potentially. Potentially. it would op- Carolina would be in as the automatic bid, if you will, from the ACC, and it would open up the discussion of Clemson or Florida State getting into one of those New Year's Six Bowls, which would be an interesting debate. And so the bottom line of all that is we've got to be good conference people. All right, Clemson beat Florida State. We've got to support the conference. We've got to hope that Clemson's victorious the rest of the season and wins the ACC championship game, and then let's get them next year. Well, and then you get to a debate of FSU and Carolina. For the uh, there is, if which Florida State beats Florida, there is no debate. Yeah, when North Carolina loses to Clemson. Correct. Yeah, so it'll get interesting to see. I, I think that that yeah, I think that's the likely scenario for FSU and the two bowl games you you could go to. Talk about the Peach. The Fiesta would also be in play in that scenario, depending on all the matchups. Those are the two that that you would go to in that scenario. Uh, the other the other side of the coin, if you're not in one of those, then you have the bowl in Orlando, and FSU is also making a play for Jacksonville, and and the which is where I think they would end up. There's not a lot of interest and, and on FSU's point. That. Yeah, there's not a lot of interest on FSU's behalf of going to Orlando because the spring games in Orlando, the season openers in Orlando. I can tell you that the FSU athletics is not pushing hard to go there. And I imagine that that bowl is probably not very interested in taking FSU either because they're going to see him in the spring and they're going to see him again Labor Day next year. And by the way, in in keeping with that, Florida State will open in Orlando against Ole Miss. And then it was just been announced that Florida State will then play Charleston Southern on September 10th in Tallahassee. The home opener will be Charleston Southern. Uh, after uh, the uh, game on Labor Day night in uh, so that'll Orlando. Be a, that'll be a short week. Short week against uh, them, yes. So the interesting thing, we don't have time to do complete justice to this uh, because we could do a full show on it. We could do lots of shows on it. But the whole who's in the top four and who's not, we got to get this playoff expanded so that you can get an automatic bid. And not everybody agrees with this, but the whole beauty contest on my team is prettier than your team when you really have no, you know, when beauty's in the eye of the beholder, it's 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 comical, quite frankly, that we're still at this level in college football. What what we did when we had the two polls, coaches and the and, and the writers, is it was an eye contest. Who looked the best? Right. There were certain rules. You'd you'd look a little bit at head to head, and you would reward the former national championship from last year. You'd rank them kind of high. But what we've come down to is this thing of eye test. And game management, which arguably are one and the same. Game control. Game control, thank you. Which arguably one and the same. And we're right back where we started from. Now, the the reasoning that the um, talking heads will give you that we can't go to eight teams is because we're locked in for 12 years. It's a 12-year contract. This is year three of a 12-year contract. Well, that's BS. Contracts were made to be broken. And if there's enough momentum... Uh, I think you're seeing it build up slowly, particularly if if the Big 12 gets locked out again. You know, if TCU and Baylor and Oklahoma State and all those no, end up beating each other. It's not the Big 12. Here's the scenario. What if Alabama, What if the SEC doesn't have a rep and they're locked out of well, the top four? Be, we'll have eight, we'll the have eight teams back. next year. We'll have eight teams yeah, next yeah. year. But the point being, that momentum is building, and we're not going to be nine years from now before that becomes a viable option. Well, I think the cleaner break – the way they have the rotation set with the six games that are involved is you could make the change at six years and renegotiate. In year seven. Yes, in year seven, because everybody would have had would an have equal been turn to host the playoffs and, and do all that. No, I agree with you. But it, it it's just comical when people trot out, well, so-and-so did this. I mean, what year are we in? 
I mean, and we're still high. We put a man on the moon in the 60s, right, as I recall. We're a couple generations removed from that. We're going to send people to Mars, and we still can't do a better job of this. It's just comical. Just uh, I know that uh, and it won't, first it won't of all, be perfect at eight. First but of all, you take care of the power five. With three options, but you had certainly better than four when you're supposed to have five. I, I couldn't agree more. You at least get an access point there. I mean, the NFL playoffs seem to work. We don't have these debates about you know. And it's seven, my girl looks prettier than your girl. You we seven, just know you nine, won the division, so you're in. And if you go seven and nine in the NFL and you make it into the playoffs, you can win the, the right the, the, the right the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, so you, five champions, three at large. Let's move on. It can be done. Uh, pay websites may not like it because they generate a lot of traffic uh, arguing back and forth on this, which is which is part of the issue. But I, at some point, we got to get past. And how this. about Florida State moving up a couple of notches now up to number fourteen in in the playoff committee's mind? Um, not sure you have an opportunity to move up this week unless somebody ahead of you loses. But certainly, if you defeat Florida. Uh, in Gainesville, there's the chance to get into to, to 11 or maybe even 10, which is and, why we would back pro- on the radar. Which is why we'd project FSU in a New Year's Six bowl yep. game in that scenario. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We got to step aside. We'll come back and uh, shift gears. We'll talk about a sport where they actually have access for a lot of teams, a lot more than four. It's basketball. They've been doing this tournament thing for a while, and it, it tends to work. Stay with us here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on the front row. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Basketball season underway. Matter of fact, a home opener on the women's side tomorrow night for Coach Sue Semrau's Seminoles, who hosts Tulane. And uh, Coach is kind enough to join us for a few minutes right now. Sue, it's always great to talk to you. How are you? Doing great, Tom. And uh, and Keith, too. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. Upright and taking nourishment is what Keith normally answers to that question. So I'll, <laughs> I'm trying to clean my act up, Coach. I spent enough time with him. I know his, uh, his I'm, response. I'm talking to there. the coach of an Elite Eight team. I've, I've got to be a little uh, nicer <laughs> and, and use a proper grammar. <laughs> well, you're from Wildwood, so we'll let the proper grammar slide. But we'll continue the conversation with Coach Semra. Coach, uh, obviously a lot of hype, a lot of excitement about what you've got. Uh, you know, I know the other night was disappointing, but just big picture first, what excites you about the team that you've assembled for this year that came into the season as preseason number seven, I think, uh, in the country? Yeah, you know, and I, honestly, we knew going into the game on Monday night that uh, it would be a difficult game for us. Uh, when when you're at this level, you're trying to prepare for March, and in doing that, you we try to get a couple things that we're really good at, really solid, and you don't have a lot of time to prepare for a lot of chaos, and uh, later on in the year, you, you're a little bit better against that type of opponent that likes to play the multiple defenses and the like. So, again, it was... Uh, it, it was a tough opener for us, but I think we learned a lot, and I, that's the biggest key going into it. We've got a lot of returners, uh, and certainly uh, we want to uh, continue to, to build on what we did last year. Coach, let's talk about that expectation. Uh, you know, uh, you play in the ACC championship game last year. You make it to, to the Elite Eight. You're, you're a top ten preseason unanimous, no question. You're not, you're not an unknown anymore. How does that affect your, you as your staff prepares, and how does that affect the ladies as they prepare? I, I don't think it really has anything uh, change. Uh, I think one of the things that you, you have to do is you have to manage expectations for your team. I mean, last year we, we put a, a period on it. You can't just put a comma and expect it to just stay the same. We lost a great leader in Megan Conright. We lost some of our depth in Shakina Richardson and Morgan Jones. So one of the things I think that is really important is that we learn to create a new identity. That's something that we'll do over the course of our preseason and hope to have our best team ready to go here uh, come ACC. And that's going to apply for any team every year. But the good news for you is as you build that identity, when you look at the roster that you can put out there, I mean, you'd rather be creating that identity when you have uh, Bulgock and Bingley and, and Brittany Brown back and Shaquilla Thomas and Leticia. I mean, talk about what you have as a, as a group out there. And I know Leticia got, got uh, injured a little bit the other night, but uh, you've got a pretty good, uh, talented group. Yeah, we do. We have um, players that are uh, very selfless. They have a desire to it's 
still is uh, really important for us as we as we determine our roles, who is going to be, play what role. Uh, you know, Kayla Thomas was the sixth player of the year in the ACC last year. Now moving her into the starting lineup is somebody who is a great scorer for us. How, what does that do with Slaughter and Bulgak? You know, they're they're both interior players. So, you know, we're, we're playing around a little bit with it. We're playing uh, with Ivy and Shakela in multiple positions. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, we're going to be a little bit limited possibly at our, with our guard play tomorrow night as we open up, uh, which will give a couple of the younger guards a chance to, to step up and get some very valuable playing time. A lot has been made about the men's side and, and the newcomers that uh, Leonard has brought in. You you went, quote-unquote, international a little bit with some of your newcomers. Talk, talk about the ladies that uh, you're just getting a feel for in your program. Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly we felt like the this class was uh, to be very complimentary. You know, we, we look at the, the opportunity to bring in Maria Conde, who was on the uh, under-19 national team world championship uh, level played against Shakela Thomas, which she was on the United States under-19 team. And then Rachel Antoniadu, who is uh, just a bulldog from Australia, uh, somebody that we know will bring us a lot of energy and spark. And then next year we'll add uh, a, possibly a top-five recruiting class, certainly a top-ten recruiting class with, with five players, three being ranked in the, in the top 25. Congratulations uh, on that success and continued success that you're having, Sue. There's been some uh, some changes to the game in terms of uh, rules changes, most notably that instead of halves, you're playing quarters. I'm just curious, uh, you know, your thoughts on that and maybe some of the other points of emphasis uh, or things that are you're still in that kind of feeling out period for how everything's going to be uh, refereed. Yeah, you know, and I, I was a, a huge proponent for all of that. I think, uh, you know, we and the men were the only uh, – basketball groups in the world to play to have and so you know when you look at the high school and they play four quarters so prior to getting to college you're playing four quarters and then after college when you play in the WNBA and overseas and in the Olympics it's all four quarters so we felt like it was important to get on the same page as the rest of the world and and uh, play with these four quarters it's it's challenging Uh, there we have one fewer timeouts. We wanted to see the game move more quickly for the fan. Uh, so it, it's, it's a little bit different. Obviously, we're trying to play with a little less contact uh, to enhance the offensive side uh, for the fans uh, in the game of basketball. Sue, talk a little bit about, uh, and this has been an ongoing thing, our listeners are aware that uh, FSU has now taken over full control of uh, the Tucker Center. Uh, the rim of boards and some uh, signage and things were changed, and now the sound system, and there's some continued improvements uh, being made. But uh, how, how is the Tucker Center as an environment? Uh, your attendance has continued to improve. Uh, how is it for a, a home field, a home court advantage for your ladies? Totally changed. I mean, I tell you what, we went undefeated at home yesterday, or last year, yesterday. I wish it was yesterday. Uh, last year, and you know, with the improvements, it's such a great fan experience. We're so excited about uh, the arena that we play in, that we can bring our opponents to. Now we're working on the back of the house, and we're getting a, an opportunity to work with the locker rooms, uh, both for the opponent and for our teams that will be ready next year, and I, I couldn't be more excited. Well, and you've always done a great job of promoting your product. Uh, I know you've got the home opener tomorrow night. You've got, uh, I don't know if it's a matinee special or what you actually deem that, but you've got an early <laughs> start next week where a lot of elementary schools come out. Uh, and you've, you've been a part of this community for a number of years, but but sort of talk about your philosophy there of, of, of marketing and, and selling your brand. Well, I think it's so important that when our – you look at what we've got, and we want to be, if you ask any of our kids, what are we doing, they would answer, we're building a top 10 program. And then if you ask them why we're doing it, it's to positively impact lives. And in order for us to continue to build into a perennial top 10, we need the community to come out and support us. And if you look at the top 10 programs that are there perennially, they're, they're averaging eight to 10,000 fans every game. You know, that's something that we want to do. But at the same time, we want to give back to our community and be able to positively impact lives along the way. We're talking with uh, women's basketball head coach Sue Semrau. Coach, a, a top 10 preseason ranking, and I think you referenced this a little bit after the the disappointing setback on opening night, but 
you know, you're the hunted now instead of the hunter uh, in terms of what you've been able to do with your program. So how does that change uh, your your approach and what you're trying to get the players to do uh, mentally in terms of how they approach the season, given that the dy- that dynamic has shifted? Well, you know, I think uh, we've got to find somebody that, that has a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of nasty uh, a swagger about them that's not afraid to uh, to carry that torch. I think Megan Conright was that kid for us last year, and she's graduated. So now we've got to uh, find somebody on our team that, uh, or maybe even a couple, that are going to carry that in a way that you know represents somebody that has a target on their back. And certainly that's still a work in progress for us, and uh, we didn't carry that into Monday night. So, but. We really, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, and we've always believed that. Sue, talk a little bit about uh, uh, the ladies' side here at Florida State. We've seen uh, national championships uh, on the soccer side. We've seen you, a perennial NCAA participant. Uh, talk about the support that, that you're receiving, that the, that the rest of the uh, whatever we politically correct are going to call the, the, the Olympic or non-revenue sports these days, uh, from Stan all the way down to the administration. Uh, the, what's been done with the Director's Cup uh, standings has been phenomenal. I mean, this is this is not a bad place for ladies to come and participate in athletics anymore. Well, I think it's a, a tremendous place. You, I, we talk about all the time as being in an elite environment and Certainly, you look at, at the women's sports here and how elite that we've become. I think, um, you know, understandably, it's something that has to be supported by the administration on down. And uh, that's something that we've seen. We've seen great support. And really, there's a, there is a culture of excellence here. And it's not just about the women. It's not just about the men. It's about the total athletic program. Coach, we'll let you go on on this one question you you referenced earlier. You may be shorthanded in the backcourt, and I know Leticia got uh, got dinged the other night. I don't know the severity of that, so uh, I guess a update us on that, and then b I, I've seen a lot of women's basketball here over the years, given my affiliation with your program and, and some of the your predecessors. Uh, you know, in terms of a, a player that sees the court and sees the floor, uh, she's as talented as I've seen in the backcourt here. So I'll let you answer from there. Yeah, she certainly is, and um, you know, if if she can't play, she'll be missed. Uh, our, also, our backup point guard Amaya Bingley um, is out with a concussion-like sy- symptoms, so we could be uh, we could be really shorthanded. But at the same time, uh, when we're at full strength, uh, we're a different basketball team because of the talent of Leticia Romero. I mean, she's on the uh, senior national team that. Uh, will compete in the Olympics uh, hopefully next uh, next summer. And she's one of those kids that loves to facilitate more than she loves to score, and she's a great scorer. So certainly I, you look at the ability that she's going to have to get everybody involved, and uh, she's just a special, special player. Well, we hope she gets uh, well soon. Best of luck to, to you and your squad. I'll see you tomorrow night when you guys take on Tulane, uh, which I should point out, and I'll let you do that as well. 7 o'clock opener, right? Yes, sure is, and we could sure use a packed house. And uh, we need everybody's support. We're looking for another undefeated home season. And thank you guys so much for having me on. You know, and I don't think that's been stressed enough, and I don't think our listeners are aware of it. You know, uh, when you defend your house an entire year, that's a pretty pretty special thing. So congratulations. Thank you so much. All righty, Coach Sue Semrau, uh, always uh, great to chat with Sue. Look forward to seeing her and her team tomorrow night, even if they are a little bit shorthanded. The uh, Knowles preseason number seven uh, this year, and they welcome Tulane to town tomorrow night at the Tuck. we got just a little bit of time to finish up, and we will do that after we do this. Stay with us. listening to the front row with tom block and keith jones got a question email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com here's tom and keith now we finished uh, solving the world's problems for this week keith we're well on our way uh, our florida state's problems at least I mean, exactly covered everything exactly thanks to uh, tim linnefelt for joining us uh, earlier as he always does also coach sue uh, it's hard for me to believe i always joke with her when i talk to her that uh 
she's been here this long at this point. It, I remember when she came in and uh, how many years has it been? Did you did you look it up? It seems like it's, twenty. It's about twenty. She came in in mid nineties, like ninety five. And, and what like. she's done with that program, both in terms of raising the level, but then once they've achieved the level, the consistency. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable, and and it's not politically correct to talk about it, but we're in a football uh, south, football south, where you know uh, the the non revenue or non Olympic or like, what as I mentioned to her, or whatever politically correct term we're supposed to use, um, you know, are, are not there. She draws a crowd. The crowd is enthusiastic. The show is good. The performance is good. It's well worth the money, and she does it with class. Uh, I mean, it's it's a truly, truly special program that she has put together here at Florida State. Uh, Tom Lang sets us straight here. She arrived in 1997 here at FSU. So, so you're apologize 18, for adding two years to the total. That you're means, 18. That means Sue is, uh, yeah, she's 38 years old then. She got here 18 years ago, right? I thought she was 34. Something like that. Anyway, it's, 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 uh, it's fun to see what she's done with that program. On the men's side, uh, Keith, you're going to have a ringside seat, and you're headed to, uh, you know, the Caribbean. You're gonna. I, what did you pack for this weekend's trip with basketball? Should I ask? I, I the only. No, thing, I shouldn't ask for the, the sake of our listeners. Never mind. Asked, this, this is conjuring up bad images. The right only now thing like, that was asked is that I please don't bring a speedo or a onesie. Yes, or whatever that thing's called. And, and I don't have either one of them, so don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, the mental image is racing through my mind right now. I will say, uh, you're gonna. It's gonna be fun to watch this. The men's team evolve this year. Uh, Dwayne Bacon, every bit as good as advertised. Beasley, really good. They had Bell playing uh, last night. Uh, Kumage, I mean, it's you're in for a fun ride. In terms of talent, there's no question that this is by far Leonard's most talented squad. Can they continue to perform well? I, I think it's unrealistic to think that they'll average, uh, you know, 98 points a ball game. Uh, they've got to get a little better defensively. That will happen over time. But just in terms of sheer joy in watching 40 minutes of basketball, there's not a better show in the country right now than Florida State. Yeah, the uh, the 30-second shot clock's not going to be an issue for that offense, seeing as how every one of those guys can create and launch a shot. And you know, with That's not a bad shot. With everything talked about at Florida State uh, in the two games that uh, – excuse me, the, 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 yes, the two regular season games that they've played, we've had a shot clock violation once – in each of the two games. It's happened one time in each of the two games. So from that standpoint, it hasn't affected what did people do to get ready so that it wouldn't affect, I guess, becomes the issue. All right. We are out of time for this week. Keith, uh, enjoy your trip. Pack the sunscreen. Uh, I'll leave folks with a mental image of Keith sunbathing down there in uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and we will do this again uh, next week. So long. Love is all right. He's a natural